Welcome to the first season of Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up in bold, courageous faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough and hope was dim, but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Don Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who've tackled difficult life crises head on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. I'm your host, Pastor Dawn Scott Damon. So great to see you today. And hey, I just want to tell you, we've got a guest for you that you, well, you're going to be drawn into her story and you're going to love what she brings to you. I'm going to introduce her. Her name is Natalie Flake Ford. And Dr. Natalie is, she's a native of South Georgia. She lives in North Georgia now in the mountains with her husband, Jeff, and her daughter, Georgianne. Natalie graduated from Mercer University with an undergraduate degree in political science, and she later completed her graduate degree at Reformed Theological Seminary, where she earned a PhD in professional counseling from Liberty University. So we're excited to hear all that she's going to share with us. She has traveled the world and visited more than a hundred, hundred, wow, I just gave you so many more, 12, <laughs> has visited more than a dozen countries. Much of her travels were prompted by her burning desire just to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And isn't that a great desire? Natalie is also an educator and a counselor. She currently teaches at Truett McConnell University and is a therapist at the Cornerstones Counseling. And she actively serves in various ministries at her home church. She's the author of Tears of Joy, Finding Hope in the Presence of Bipolar Disorder and Suicide, and the Grace-Based Counseling, which will be released next year, August 2021. So will you please welcome with me, Dr. Natalie Flake Ford. Yay! Thank you. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much. We're so honored that you're with us today. We're talking to modern day Esther's women who have had to step into a painful place, a difficult place, had to rise up in the moment of faith to follow the call of Jesus on their life and to be courageous. And you are exactly that kind of woman. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I think you, you shared a good bit right there, yeah. uh, but I'm just a, a simple, ordinary girl that loves Jesus, and I would just say he's transformed my life and taken me places I never dreamed, um, both good and bad, and, uh, and I just uh, I hope to glorify him with my life. Uh, you mentioned I have a daughter, Georgianne, who is beginning her sophomore year in university, Tell us about your story, um, a little bit who you lost and what happened. Yes, in 2006, I lost my husband, Michael, to suicide. He had battled with bipolar disorder for about nine years, or excuse me, it was about, I guess, about six years he battled it. We were married for nine years. Um, the first part of our marriage was just a fairy tale. It was just, you know, everything I ever dreamed it would be. 
Um, it seemed like everywhere we turned, God was blessing us. He was just, we really felt like we had the Lord's favor. We were serving as missionaries with the North American Mission Board. Um, we were actually stationed in North Georgia working with tourists that came in trying to find creative ways to share Jesus. Okay. And so we were both really um, shocked when depression entered his life. Um, at first, we thought it was just a phase and he would snap out of it. And uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> And so after, um, after a while, his depression lifted and then it wasn't too much longer. And he went into what they call mania, where he was almost like he was on drugs, but he was not. His body actually just produced this adrenaline. He would go for days without sleeping. He would wake me up at you know two in the morning and say, what are you doing? You're being lazy. Get up, get up, get up. Um, just really in overdrive, very um, just racing thoughts, grandiose thinking. Um, and it really rocked our world. And, you know, I remember being like, Lord, we're serving you. We're, we're, we're your missionaries. Why, why is this happening? And, um, even for Michael, he, he really thought that God was punishing him for something and, uh, and kept crying out to the Lord for God to heal him. And when God didn't, it really, really hurt him more. I can only imagine the painful time that this was. And bipolar is very serious mental disorder. And, and the adult onset of bipolar, sometimes it, 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 it's confusing. And it can be a, the onset. I don't know if it came through a trauma or a crisis or a stressful moment in his life or a sickness. Did it just seem to appear out of anywhere? Did anyone in his family have this disorder? It did seem to appear out of nowhere. There had been no signs or symptoms prior to. Now, in hindsight, I do think it was a genetic um, disorder. There seems to be people in his family who were undiagnosed that, uh, that probably had it. Uh, but it seemed to come out of nowhere at the time. What a massive disruption to your life and had to be a, a, like a dark time, a, a dark night of the soul where you're seeking God and asking for questions. And did God prepare you for this? I mean, how, how did you handle this? This is, had to have been just terribly tragic and earth shattering for you. It was, it was very scary because I felt like I didn't know day to day what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so during the time with his illness, I really just dove into God's word and the Psalms really became like a bomb for my soul. They just, they resonated with me because the psalmist would cry out in anguish and in sadness. And I felt like, you know, I had always thought as a good Christian, we couldn't feel those things. And they gave me permission to be real with what I was feeling. Um, but we went through, Michael had been hospitalized and while he was hospitalized, um, he really got help. And that's the thing about bipolar disorder is there is treatment and there is help available. And so when he came back from the hospital, I felt like I had my husband back and life was good. I was hopeful for the future. And during this time, um, I'm getting to your, your question. Okay. Um, during this time, I went to a conference, a passion conference, and Francis Chan was speaking on when life hurts. And I remember going in thinking, well, you know, I'm glad those hurts are behind me. You know, the, the last 
several years have just been horrendous, but hope is on the way. My life's about to take a turn for the positive, but, but I'm going to go hear what, you know, Francis has to say anyway. And when we got in there, um, Pastor Chan asked the question, he said, how many of you want to be more like Jesus? And every hand in the room went up and he said, what if God said, in order to make you more like Jesus, I have to bring suffering into your life. Now, how many of you want to be more like Jesus? And honestly, I don't remember anything else about that sermon. It was like the Holy Spirit just kept asking me that over and over in my heart. And I started wrestling with God, just saying, you know, Lord, I want to be more like Jesus, but I don't want to hurt anymore. I'm just starting to feel myself. Right. Yeah. And so keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I wrestled for several hours. I stayed in that room on my knees, even after the session ended, just crying out to the Lord. And, and as I would say, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. But it was like the Holy Spirit said to my spirit, do you trust me? Mm-hmm. Yes, Lord, I trust you, but no buts. You either trust me or you don't. And, and after this long, heart-wrenching battle, I finally said, okay, Lord, I surrender to you. I don't want to hurt, but I want to be like Jesus, and I trust you. Mm-hmm. And so I got up from that, and I called Michael, who was not with me, and said, you know, I want to share with you about this experience I had with the Lord. And when he answered the phone, I could hear the depression in his voice. Oh, man. And he told me, I said, Michael, are you taking your medications? And he said, Natalie, I was doing so good. I just knew that God had healed me. Mm-hmm. So I came off my medicine and I wanted to surprise you. But now I'm back in the pit. Mm. Oh, man. That is an all too common story because when you take your medicine, it does exactly what it's created to do, right? Which is to bring you out of the the bipolar depression and the mania a lot of people like the mania and they don't want to take their medicine because they like that feeling but they forget that the other side of the spectrum is then going to be the crash of depression and many christians claiming a healing that's why it's always so important to make sure that that when you're because god does heal god does do those miraculous things but that you you do it with counseling and you do it with help people need to hear that but there you are on the other end of the phone. And did you know in that moment that you were, that God had prepared you that you're about to go round two with, with another season of depression or what were you feeling right then? You know, right then, I think I was hopeful that we could get back to the doctor and and get help and we would climb out of this. I I thought, okay, this is going to be tough, but we can handle it. We've got this. Um, you know, you mentioned that, that God could heal, and I felt like God had led me to, uh, to Paul's thorn in his flesh, and, and the fact that, you know, Paul pleaded with the Lord, take this thorn from me, and God said, my grace is sufficient, and I feel like as I pleaded with God to heal Michael, he was telling me, my grace is sufficient. Um, what, was, what was interesting, though, Dawn, is about a, a week after this, I was sharing with my church about this experience I had with the Lord and it was on a Sunday night and I shared with them what I just shared with you. But the last thing I said was, you know, I don't know what this week holds, but I know three things. I know God's a good God. He's still on the throne and I can trust him. And I said that on Sunday night and that Friday, Michael took his life. 
Mm. And so it was like, God said, okay, Natalie, do you really believe those three things? Yes. Say those three things again. So our listeners can hear. God God is a good God. Yes. He is still on the throne and, and we can trust him. And we can trust him. And I just want to pause and put this in here right now. If anyone is listening and you're in the battle and you're struggling with depression, especially this time right now with COVID and all that's happening in our world, remember these three things. God is a good God and God is still on the throne and you can trust him. Will you trust him today? So that Friday, Michael takes his life. And now there you are, a widower, a widow and a, and a single mom of a daughter and thrust into the midst of mourning and tragedy. And do those words echo in your heart and soul? I'm going to make you, I'm going to transform you into the image of my son, Jesus Christ. You're going to look like more. Or did you go through a season of anger? Or how are, what are you feeling now? And where does scripture come into this for you? How did it play a role in your life? Yeah, I would say yes to all of that. Um, <laughs> I think uh, definitely I knew that God had spoken to me to prepare me. And I found comfort in that because I knew that this didn't surprise God. You know, I don't believe God caused it, but it also didn't surprise God. He knew that this was going to happen and he was preparing me for it. So I knew he, he was with me in the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, but I still went through all of that grief. I mean, I I was angry. I was angry at Michael. You know, I was angry at God because, yes, God could have stopped it and he chose not to. And I was angry at myself for not catching more warning signs. So there was a lot of anger and guilt, incredible sadness, fear, because at the time, you know, when Michael quit, when Michael was gone, I was a single parent with no job. And so I didn't know how I was going to provide. I I had so many questions. Mm. And, uh, but yes, scripture was really, I felt like it was my, my lifeline during that time. I continued to just dive into the Psalms and Psalm 42 really began to resonate with me. Um, it just says over and over hope in God for yet I shall praise him. He is my help and my countenance. And, and I just clung, clung to that. Um, it would talk, talks in this uh, Psalm about will my tears ever stop? And I remember feeling that way, like I would never be happy again. And this psalm gave me hope that maybe one day with God's help, I would get to the other side. The psalms are so powerful and just so filled with lament. And it teaches us when sometimes we don't even have words, we don't even know how to grieve. We don't have vocabulary for what we're feeling. How comforting is it to know that that the psalmist went through and felt and experienced what we're experiencing experiencing and able to give us some words and like you said permission right to say okay it's okay to feel like this and it's okay to be angry at god and in fact he invites it god's invitation is to lament before him and so beautiful that you were able to do that how how the grieving process we mentioned all of the things the anger and the bargaining and the sadness the grief the denial I'm sure it's not a linear process, correct? You just jump here and there. Correct. You kind of go in and out of all of the different stages. And, and then so, when you know, and sometimes throughout one day. <laughs> ah, wow. Yes. How, how long, 
And I know everybody grieves differently. And I know one of the questions that so many people ask, I know for me too, when I've been in really difficult situations in life, um, I experienced a season of depression in my thirties. And that was a question like, how long is this going to last God? Like, when am I going to see the light? When am I going to wake up and not feel like I have a black cloud hanging over me? How long, or are you, do you still grieve from time to time? How long is the grieving process before you were kind of ready to move on with your life? Right. And, and I think, um, you know, grief itself, I don't know that it ever ends. I don't think you ever get over it, that you get through it and it's not as raw and it's not as painful. And I don't think about it every day like I did, you know, at one time, but there's still times something song will come on the radio or something will trigger a memory and, and I'll feel sad for a while, but it doesn't last like it did. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I realized that I had lost Michael, the man I married a long time before he died because his illness had really taken the man I loved away. Mm -hmm. And so I think the grieving process began for me while he was still alive. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I prayed when he died, Lord, turn my weeping to laughing and my mourning to dancing. Mm -hmm. And I remember my therapist saying, Natalie, that that's too extreme. You need to just ask God to comfort you. And I was like, no, I want him to turn my weeping to laughing and my mourning to dancing. And on the one year anniversary of his death, my friends asked me what I wanted to do to help me cope. And I told them, I said, I want to go dancing. Mm -hmm. and so we went what's called contra dancing. It's very similar to square dancing. Okay. And uh, so we're at this dance and the caller cries out. He said, there's a group from North Georgia here. I wonder what they're celebrating. And my heart sunk because I'm like, it's the anniversary of Michael's death. And they think I'm celebrating. Oh no. And the Holy spirit just said, Natalie, what did you pray for? That's right. And, and I just remember weeping, just like, Lord, you are bringing healing into my life. And so I don't think at the one-year mark I was healed, but I think I was beginning to see the light again. Yeah, you had some breakthrough, it sounds like. And yes. how beautiful of God to give you something very significant on the anniversary that you could be an anchor for your soul to, to say, this is a mile marker. Right. I've come this far. And so it's like building a monument or like they used to do the stacking stones and an altar before God and saying, thank you for bringing me this far. And how now has your experience shaped you? I'm, I can only imagine you must be, are you very different, mostly different, not different <laughs> to have impacted you? I definitely I think um, in the beginning, like I've loved the Lord because of all the good gifts he had given me. You know, I talked about how I had the fairy tale life. Things were wonderful. And, and I loved him because of the things and the people in my life. And I've learned through this to love him for who he is. Yes. And if he never gives me anything apart from my salvation, I've already been given way more than I ever deserve. So yes. I've learned to love him in a deeper, more significant way. Um, it's also just changed, I think, my life course. Um, I went back to school and got my degree in counseling because when this happened, I, at the time, I kept thinking, there's got to be somebody who's been through this that I could talk to. Right. And I couldn't find anybody because at the time, the church wasn't talking about mental illness. We weren't talking about suicide. And so as I began to share my story, more and more people were calling me for help. And I thought, I need to go back to school and get the real training to help people. 
And so um, it's really shifted my life, I guess my life work, to point people to Christ, but also to point people to hope that um, that your end doesn't have to be like Michael's. There are other helps that are out there to help you get out of depression, out of anxiety, whatever it is you're struggling with. Right. And that's such an important message for everyone to hear that there is hope. It, it there, It's mental illness. We've come so far in learning so much about it. And we know that it's more involved than just here, take this medicine. But I will say two medicines have come so far. They're so much more sophisticated than what they were back in the past. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a frightening thing to take medicine. That suffering comes you know, the enemy wants to keep us in suffering and keep and steal our life from out of underneath of us. But if, but if science can bring through the, the power of a little pill, you back to equilibrium so you can serve God and love God and go on and, and have your life. That's a beautiful thing. I believe that's my opinion, but um, it's good to hear that there's that you bring hope for people to let them hear. And it's also sad to hear that you had to go through this without someone coaching you through it and saying, you know, this, I'm here for you. I can understand your story. Thank you for going back and getting your counseling degree and learning more about this. So do you do a lot of this work now for people? I do. I do a lot of grief counseling. I also lead an SOS group. It's a survivors of suicide group for people who've lost loved ones to suicide this is a national organization. If you've lost someone, I encourage you to go online and Google survivors of suicide and find a group in your area. Right now is a great time because uh, a lot of the groups are online. Yeah, right. From your home. Uh, and then, uh, and I would just also add, you know, after Michael's death and after, as I've come out of this, my life hasn't just been all wonderful. There's still been challenges. And I did remarry in um, 2013. But then shortly after that, we lost my new mother-in-law to suicide as well. And she was also bipolar. And, you know, and that was really challenging because here I was the professional and I couldn't save her. And so that was, that was very, very difficult and very hard. And so I continued to learn and grow myself in this process. Yes. And, you know, it was beautiful that you were able to be there. And yet I think it must have been triggering bringing back all of those feelings, emotions and feeling helpless and powerless. But you said early on that God gave you a word. And when you were praying for Michael's healing and God just said, my grace is sufficient for you. Have you experienced God's grace in these seasons, even when it feels dark, that his love is there for you? Absolutely not only from God, but from his church, you know, I have to say, and when I say the church, yes, my, my um, congregation, my local congregation, but the church at large, I feel like was really there for me. They helped provide um, financially so that I could continue to stay at home for six months until my daughter started kindergarten. Um, people, you know, brought meals, they would come babysit, what, you know, all kinds of tangible ways. They really loved me through it. Um, I remember going back to church was very emotional and I would sit on the back row because as soon as they'd start singing about heaven, I was out the door. Oh yeah. And I, but there was always somebody right behind me just to hold me and let me cry. And, uh, and that was just, it, it was really comforting during that time, just the way God used his people to help me through that process. 
That's wonderful. And, you know, I know for me, I went through, um, I was married for 28 years and then my husband, uh, he abandoned the family and I was all of a sudden a divorced woman, a pastor. He, my husband was an elder in the church and we went through that tragedy and it was sad. And I remember walking into the church and I felt a lot of shame. They were there for me and they loved me, but it didn't replace the feelings that I had, the, the being a, I wasn't enough for my husband. I felt embarrassed. I felt like I was a black eye. I felt so much shame. I felt unworthy. I felt like I needed to quit and which I did for a season of time. Did th does this bring shame in some way? Is this one of those areas where you, you could potentially fall into feeling like somehow you failed? Oh, absolutely. You know, I would go out in public and people would look at me and I felt like they were judging me saying, oh, there's that, you know, that woman, if she had been a better wife or if she had done this or that, her husband wouldn't have taken his life. It had to be her. And, uh, and I felt a lot of shame and nobody wants to say, you know, my husband died from suicide. You know, I remember being at the mall with my daughter who at the time was four. So she didn't know how her daddy died. Mm -hmm. And someone's like, I bet your daddy's so proud of you. And I just said, well, her daddy's with Jesus. And then they asked, well, what happened? Right. There's always such shame in those moments. Mm -hmm. And I finally did just say, well, he had bipolar disorder and it got the best of him. And that's how I would answer for a long time. Um, but yeah, I felt shame. I had some good friends who never called or reached out after Michael died. And in my mind, I thought they, they blame me. It's my fault. They hate me now. And I believed that for years until I saw them again. And it ends up they were going through their own struggles and didn't want to burden me with it because they knew I was struggling so much. So they stayed away. But that perceived shame, even if it wasn't real, I felt it. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the whispering of all of the accuser of the brethren is in our ear and our own inner critic it comes out and our own shaming messages and i think that it's really important that the body of christ learn how to console people who are in grief because sometimes we just don't know what to say and so they end up we end up i'm sure i'm guilty as well saying the wrong thing or asking the wrong thing do you do any education for the body of christ on how to come alongside someone who's grieving you know, that's a great question, and that's probably something I should do more of. Um, I, I think when people ask me, one thing I often say is, is that it's not your words. There's nothing you can say. It's more your presence, mm -hmm. it's being with the person and being available, whether it's just sitting in the room with them while they're grieving. Um, I know early on, just having someone to answer my telephone was a huge blessing because I didn't have to answer and face people. Um, you know, so just being present in the little things was, was so helpful because there weren't words. Right. The ministry of presence is so powerful. Right. So Natalie, what would you say to someone? Let's think about this. They may be listening to this day today, this podcast, and they're considering ending their life. They're, they're in depression. They have bipolar. They've lost their business. Now, right now, we're hearing a lot of reports, even pastors in the ministry. What would you say to someone who's considering completing suicide? Well, the, the first thing I would say is I'm, I'm so sorry for your hurt and that you're going through this time. 
I can't, I, I hurt for you. Um, but I would ask if there was another way other than ending your life to find relief from the pain, would you consider it? Mm-hmm. And if so, I, I want to say there, there, there is another way and it may not be something you find instantly. It may take some time, but it's worth it. It's worth pursuing. You're worth it. And I would encourage you to tell another person to reach out for help. You know, there are some great crisis hotlines you can call. Most counselors right now are doing online counseling. And so you could, could reach out for counseling if you need that. Talk to a pastor. Just share with someone what you're struggling with. Um, you're, feel free to reach out to me, my website. It's tearstojoy.org. I'm happy to try and connect you with someone. Um, I think the biggest thing is that as long as the Lord is on the throne, there is hope and he sees your pain and he cares about you and he wants you to come on the other side of this. And so don't give up. That would be my, my word. Don't give up. Amen. That's wonderful advice and very important for you to hear that today, my brother or my sister. If there would be another way to escape your pain, would you be willing to consider it? And the truth is that there is another way to experience and to get relief from pain. And so remember to find that hotline, and I'll post it at the end of this podcast, and also tearstojoy.org, is it? Natalie Flake Ford, tearstojoy.org, and she'll make sure that you get connected with someone. If someone listening today has lost a loved one, what would you say to them? Um, very similarly, I think if you've lost them to suicide, to hold your head high and to know that the way your loved one died does not define who they were as a person. That was one decision in their lifetime and they made a multitude of others. Um, and that, that doesn't define who they are. I would also say that, um, whether or not they're in heaven depends on the relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I've searched and searched the scriptures and I don't see anything in them that suggests that someone might be in hell because of suicide is an unforgivable sin. Um, and I, so I would just encourage you if, if you've been taught that, or you believe that to search the scriptures for yourself, I don't, I don't find it. Men, <laughs> um, I agree. And then take care of yourself. You know, I think, uh, give yourself grace right now. It may be hard to think. It may be hard to focus, make decisions. And that's okay. It's all normal. And just give yourself permission to grieve. One of the greatest things um, I heard during my own grief was feelings aren't good or bad. They just are. Mm -hmm. It's what we do with those feelings that could be good or bad. So if you're angry, be angry. You know, yell, scream, punch your pillow. If you're sad, cry. Get it out. It's okay. But if you get to a place where the tears never stop and you feel like you're not getting out of it, it's okay to reach out for help as well because you don't want your grief to turn into depression. Amen. So important and such powerful words right now in this season that we're in too. One thing we're learning for sure is that isolation can lead us to a very dangerous place. It's beautiful to have solitude, but isolation, that's different. And so all of that all of the things that you were just sharing with us, Natalie, the, if you're a person who's struggling with depression or anxiety right now and you feel it weighing on you and becoming heavier and heavier, please reach out. Please do not isolate. And there's no shame in that. If anything from this interview, 
that we could say, we hope you hear that there is no shame in what you're experiencing. And mental illness does not make you weak or less than or inadequate. You know, I wear glasses. I'm looking at you right now and I'm seeing that you wear glasses. Yes. <laughs> I've got my contacts on. But nevertheless, you know, your eyeballs are an organ in your body and your eyes are not working the way they should. So you need a little help by putting those glasses on. Uh, friends, your brain is an organ in your body. And sometimes the organ of the brain malfunctions and you need a little help. There's no shame in that. So please be free to reach out and share with someone what you're going through. Natalie, thank you so much for sharing. Yes, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to add, you were talking about just the depression and anxiety and the isolation. One of the best things we can do during this time to help us with all of that is exercise. Mm -hmm. That helps to get our endorphins going. It gets more blood flow to the brain, which helps the brain to operate better. And, uh, and it just helps our overall mood. And so when we're feeling low, it's the very last thing we want to do. But a lot of researchers say it's even more effective than antidepressants. So if you can make yourself get up and get moving, it helps so much. Yes, thank you for sharing that. And the body, soul, and spirit connection cannot be underestimated. It's very powerful, and you're so right. Exercise can change your state and release those good chemicals. And I'm not a huge runner, but I do like I exercise every day, and I concur with you. I love having had exercise. I don't always like it when I'm doing it, <laughs> but I love how I feel when it's over. Agreed. <laughs> but I want to say thank you so much for being with us today and a bigger thank you for sharing your story and refusing to let silence be your way to, to come out and be willing to share your story because what comes from the heart touches the heart and you're able to share and help someone else. And I am sure multitudes of people have found hope because of the way that you've shared and the way that you've then gone on and educated and prepared yourself to be that voice. Thank you for doing that. Modern day Esther, we appreciate it so much. Tell us one more time how people can find you. Yes, my website is www.tearstojoy.org. And that's the name of your book as well, correct? Yes, it's also Tears to Joy. It's available currently on my website. Um, my publishing company went out of business, so I'm working on a second edition that we hope to have out before too long. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you very much for being with us. And once again, for all of you who are listening and watching today, thanks for stopping by today. We pray you have a blessed day. This is your host, Pastor Don Scott Damon. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you found value, make sure that you visit ariseester.captivate.fm. Like us, love us, and review us. And hey, want to join the movement? Visit us on thearisemovement.com to get connected. And for more information about me, your freedom coach and host, visit Freedom Girl Sisterhood. Dot com. And while you're there, take the 60-day freedom challenge. You'll be so glad you did. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.